Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U, where there are no degrees because the learning never stops. I'm Dove, a TA here at Gooner U, and my friend Keith is our stalwart distinguished professor of arsenal and football studies. This week featured Premier League match number nine at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. Uh, we're, we're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> Reference acknowledged. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, fun, fun week, fun week. Um, to, to kick things off, uh, you sent me something earlier that was funnily timed follow-up for something that we actually talked about during last week's show, made it into an actual match. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, so we talked about direct and indirect free kicks, and I specifically mentioned uh, that I had seen cases where there was an indirect free kick in the box, which creates this awkward position of a you know, a, a wall being formed and runners going off the ball. And and turns out, in watching the USA-Ghana game uh, last week, the U.S. had an indirect free kick and scored a goal from it inside the box. <laughs> so that was exciting. And I have to say, in the midst of all of that, I actually totally forgot what the actual infraction was that led to the indirect free <laughs> kick. But they had one in the box, and they scored. And right. we, we blew out Ghana, which was... Fun. Uh, Ghana was not particularly good, which is weird because they're usually better than that. Um, but they were not good. Um, and Thomas Party played uh, a good chunk of the game too. Who oh, didn't? Cool. And, he, and he didn't get hurt, which is the most important thing. Of course. <laughs> as far as, as far as I can tell, he didn't get hurt, and that's all right. I care about in, from that perspective. All right. Yeah, that's uh, that's fun. So we'll we'll have a link in the show notes to the Twitter video that shows that that was a fun little goal that they scored. So. Moving into news, um, we had no action from the Indian uh, national team, but apparently, and this is being fed to me by Keith, thank you, um, <laughs> Afghanistan won and made it into their group. So they will be in India's group during the next round, and they're going to play, I guess, in the November international break. Is that right? Uh, yes, their first first two games of the second round of Asian qualifying in the these groups of four, and we, I'm sure we gave the names of those groups yeah. uh, in those groups last time. Uh, yeah, Afghanistan will be the fourth team in India's group. Cool. So, what happened with Japan? Uh, well, Japan did actually have a game. They had a, had a game, a friendly against Tunisia, which they won two nil. Um, it was in Japan. Japan's better than Tunisia. It's a good <laughs> result for Japan. Uh, also, Tomiyasu played 90 minutes. Wow. So, you know, yeah, he had, a, I mean, a lot of Arsenal players played in the break. We mentioned a couple of them last time. Uh, Martin Odegaard played a bunch for Norway as they failed to qualify for the European Championship. So I guess they're in some sort of final qualification playoff that'll take place later. Um, mm. Actually, one other one we, we could also mention, we didn't throw it in the notes, but um, the U.S. was playing friendlies this window. They will be playing, though, in the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Nations League in the next window in November. They will get a home-and-home first game in Austin, Texas, the second game on the road against Trinidad and Tobago. Hmm. The winner will go to the uh, semifinals and finals, the final round of the Nations League Championship, a tournament that has only been played twice, and the U.S. has won twice. So it'll be nice to do that again. Uh, in fact, actually, when I, the game I went to this summer, uh, the U.S. played Mexico, was the semifinals of that competition. Um, so the, the ideally, ideally, of course, the U.S. will beat Trinidad, which we probably should do, and will then go to play uh, whoever uh, whoever the other semifinalists are. The other big benefit, though, is by winning those quarterfinal match, we will automatically qualify for the for next summer's Copa America. Uh, hmm. the, the historically, the South American Championship is going to be played with a much uh, next summer with an expanded field, and we played in the United States. We do not, however, automatically qualify. We have to win our way in, and beating Trinidad will get us there. There, hmm. if we fail to do that, which you know, we can talk about my PTSD from the 2017 qualifying tournament. Every U.S. fan knows what Kuva means, but anyway. Assuming we beat Trinidad, which we probably should, we'll qualify directly. If we fail to do that, there is an extra qualifying tournament that we would be involved in, I, I guess, in November or maybe the early part of next year. No, probably, I'm sorry, it would be in March of next year, um, which then we'd be able to qualify. And being able to play in Copa America would be a huge opportunity for the U.S. to get a chance to play some of the big boys in South America, which is much better than what we normally get. We'd normally be getting as as part of friendlies or qualification, especially qualification at this stage. So to get to play some of those teams would be really good for us. 
Yeah, cool. Um, backing up a minute just to Japan, let me put my pedantic hat on. Mm-hmm. And you said Tomiyasu played 90 minutes. Is that another way of saying he played the whole match or was it like he got substituted out in stoppage time or something? Yeah, no, that's a way of saying it. that 90 minutes is sort of the shorthand for he played the whole game. Yes, right. I suppose if you looked at it, I, he did. He was not subbed out. I suppose if you looked at it, he probably played like 97 minutes or something. Yeah. But generally speaking, the only time you would typically account for stoppage time like that is if something happened there. So hmm. there was a goal or, uh, okay. you know, a, or a, a car or something happened. You talk about... 90 plus four or the 94th minute sure here because as a shorthand it's say you know and you hear that for example like it you know and in in a baseball game he played nine innings you know sure. the, so the shorthand of the full length of the game is what yeah. it means and, and i guess on a practical level the reason we have stoppage time is because there were however many minutes that they actually weren't playing so in theory it <laughs> is 90 minutes and that's that's what it's supposed to be at least yeah. with stoppage time so yeah okay <laughs> Although as we've established over the years, right, stoppage time is sort of uh, just a, just a wild guess, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move to Suramerica and talk about Conmebol. So what did uh, Los Cafeteros, right? Ah, uh, yes, the coffee, the coffee men. Yes. Um, <laughs> Colombia, another draw, scoreless draw at Ecuador. Um on the road, that's not a bad result. You know, the, as we said, the classic quali- formula for qualifying in the World Cup or in any any tournament is win at home and draw on the road. So a road draw is not a bad result. But coming on the heels of the home draw against Uruguay, it's a little disappointing. Uh, they are currently fifth in uh, the South American qualifying table. They have six points. Uh, the, you know, that that currently would get them into the World Cup. Uh, the top six automatically qualify. Uh, but, you know, slightly disappointing, uh, especially given just briefly looking ahead, they will play Brazil in the next window. So, uh, ouch. Um, yeah. So, you know, a little disappointing to, to not pick up the points there, but so far they're in, they're in decent shape overall. Okay. Um, to talk about Argentina, I believe it's appropriate to enter the messy room. Um, so <laughs> Messi did play for Argentina when they went against Peru. They won two nil. Messi scored both of those goals. They were both on the first half. There were assists by Nicolas Gonzalez and Enzo Fernandez. Um, Messi was denied a hat trick in the second half after a VAR uh, ruling that called the, the goal offsides or the, you know, the build-up offsides. Um, so currently, as we finish this international break, Argentina sits atop the Conmebol table with a perfect 4-0-4-0-4-0-0. So <laughs> if it were a simple 4-0, I know what I would say at 4-0. How do you do that in soccer when there's two O's? <laughs> uh, what they generally would say, you'd probably say something like four wins from four, or you might say uh, well, you might say they, ha- they haven't dropped any points. So they have all right. 12, 12 points from 12. Uh, that's a very English way of sort of saying it. Um, you could say just say four and oh. It's interesting if you look at most of the standings, they're actually listed. So like we've talked about this with the Premier League, I think they're actually listed uh, win, draw, loss. Yeah. Whereas if you were to look at most American leagues, like say the NFL, which does have ties, you would have win, loss, draw, or win, loss, huh. ties. Ties are stuck at the end. Which, I mean, again, we're kind of used to that because as Americans, we generally prefer wins and losses. Most of our sports always end with a winner. Um, but you know, if you, on some level, it actually makes sense. A tie should be in the middle, right? Because sure. it is not it is not as good as a win, but obviously not as bad as a loss, yeah. at least depending on some of the particulars of the circumstance. Um, okay, yeah, that, that's good. So there there is no elegant shorthand that, that that I'm looking for. That's okay. Not not yeah, not it doesn't it doesn't get talked about in quite the same way right. that we um that we t- that we would talk about in American sports, just because again, it's a slightly different uh, different setup. Yeah, so uh, they have an unblemished record right now, having won four games, and they now have 12 points and a goal difference of plus seven. So um, some other interesting news to fall out of this is with those two goals, uh, Messi broke the Comebol World Cup qualification scoring record. So he has now scored 31 goals in World Cup qualifying matches, and uh, no one else has done that in Comebol, so... Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there's a, 31 goals a lot is a lot. Of course, South America has a very long qualifying process for all the teams. If if Argentina were for another confederation, like say, like Asia, for example, 
they wouldn't be participating until later in the process. Um, hmm. But yeah, 31's a lot. Obviously, the record is held relative to other South American players who are theoretically going through a similar process. I think they've been doing this... I want to say they've been doing it since, what, maybe like 2006. It's not... I mean, they've had... You know, qualification has just changed dramatically over the years, of course, as the tournament expands, as more countries come in. Uh, South America's generally remained constant in terms of its size. You know, Africa, for example, of course, is not only gained countries, but also gained spots in the World Cup. And so it's had to shuffle its system to narrow its uh, 50-some countries down to the final, historically, four or five that will go to the World Cup. So, yeah. um, but still good for Messi. That's a, that's a, just a, I mean, it, it's the one record he didn't have, of course. And so it's good that he's, <laughs> with that, he has finally completed the sport. Uh <laughs> That makes sense. And yeah, it makes sense why they would count Comable World Cup qualification goals separately from other confederations. Because, yeah, that, it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison at that point. So Right. And if you look generally during qualifying, especially in a lot of country, in a lot of confederations like North America or, 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 or some of the ones that have – or Africa that have these multi-stage processes for qualifying – You'll actually see a lot of cases the leading score for much of qualifying is going to end up being some guy from some, you know, country that finishes third in their group and doesn't qualify, but he played so many games and a couple of them because his team, they got drawn against some real minnow and they had some seven or eight nil win where he got, he got four goals. And so he's the leading score is usually some guy and you're just like, who? Him? (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Also, um, after Messi got back from South America, um, as, as we noted last week, I believe, um, Miami had to play against Charlotte twice <laughs> this week, once at home, once away because of a rescheduled match. So their match on Wednesday, Messi did not play in. Uh, he was benched. I don't, it didn't look like he had a jersey on when, when I was, I only, I watched the highlights. Um, but then he did play and it, had some nice plays, but didn't didn't result in any goals for them, and they ended up losing or drawing. I I, I don't remember. But um, so what else is going on with MLS now? Regular season is over, right? Yes, Saturday night was Saturday was decision day, as they call it, the final day of the season. Um, the playoffs are set. They actually will begin uh to uh not tomorrow uh Wednesday. They'll begin on Wednesday. Um. Two of the open two opening round games uh, in the East it'll be uh, New York Red Bulls against Charlotte, and then in the West will be Sporting Kansas City and the San Jose Earthquakes. And then starting on Saturday will be uh, the best of three series in the conference quarterfinals or the second round. I don't know what they're calling it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. As far as our interests here, I know I, as I've talked about my fandom from New York City, they finished eleventh in the East and did not qualify, which was disappointing but not surprising given the way their season's going. <laughs> on the other hand, my my new local, the Houston Dynamo, are in and they get a best two out of three as the, they're the four seed in the West and they'll face Real Salt Lake, um, which actually. Saw a game there this summer. It is a nice park in a in a nice area. Salt Lake City is really nice to visit. Uh, it is still one of the dopier names in the league. Just, <laughs> but uh, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, Houston's played very well in the second half in the last second half of the season. Leagues Cup, uh, you know, nice run in the Leagues Cup, plus uh, winning the U.S. Open Cup, and they've been very good even in MLS play. So we'll see how that goes. Interesting note: since Apple Apple TV is televising all, the all of MLS Cup. With a handful of games being on over the air, like uh, FS1 and Fox, as uh, covering some of the some of the games, uh, but it appears that Game One of all of these best of three series are available for free on Apple TV, so you don't have to subscribe. Maybe just just whet the appetite a little bit for some MLS playoffs, uh, because much like the rest of the league season, it's just chaos. It's just <laughs> chaos. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's good to know. I'm glad to see them doing that. Um, you know, they they've done similar things like with uh with Major League Baseball, they have Friday Night Baseball and I don't know if it's still the case, but for a while that was like free to everybody basically and yeah, they're uh they're trying to get their name out there, gain gain recognition for the sports offerings that they have, so all right. Um, so let's get to the Arsenal action for this week. So um, we played against Chelsea on Saturday, the 21st of October. The final score was frustratingly a draw. It was a 2-2 draw. Um, I say frustratingly only because 
from the perspective of before the match started, <laughs> that isn't what we wanted or expected to happen. By the time it was over, we were glad to have it, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, someone, someone made this comment, and I, I haven't checked it, but I think it's, it sounds it, – there's something about it that rings true. So we had actually won our previous three trips to Stamford Bridge. Uh, we, you know, we've had a few – even the last few years – in all of our struggles, we've had a few games where they years where they won at the Emirates, but we beat them at Stamford Bridge. Apparently, uh, someone was saying no, no team has ever beaten Chelsea four straight times at Stamford Bridge, hmm. uh, which you know it makes sense. It's hard to win four consecutive games, especially when you're really only typically only playing there once a year um, or once a season. And uh, so, in that context, a two-two draw is actually not bad. Add in the context of you know, how we got to 2-2, which we'll get into. It You feel a little more relieved, but there is still some frustration. And, and I saw some talk about this as well. And I don't know, I'm curious what you think about this, even though you're relatively new here. You know, part of the, the frustration of the 2-2 isn't so much what we were, quote-unquote, supposed to do. Because Chelsea, for all of their weaknesses, and their, their roster was just, it's, I, I, you know, I don't follow quite the ins and outs of their roster and who they've got. Their roster was not good <laughs> for for a club of their stature and a club of their expectations. You would think Chelsea would have a an overall better set of players, and that their best player wouldn't be Thiago Silva, who might be forty, um, mm-hmm. which is which is old as an, in athlete terms, um, of course. So you know, so that's that's kind of interesting. Uh, but I, I heard some talk about this that part of the frustration we can draw from that stems from our own expectations that you know last year winning at Chelsea was a big deal we were really excited this year we didn't win at Chelsea and it's like missed opportunity um so I don't know it's just I'm I'm curious what you sort of think about that sort of is still coming into that that feels a little it, it, there's a sense that this is, involves the changing of the expectations for Arsenal and what we're capable of and what constitutes a good result yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I basically go into every match that isn't against Manchester City looking to win it at this point. It's kind of my perspective. And, you know, especially there are certain teams in the year plus that I've been watching that it seems like we're just generally better than and I, I want to see us win. And I'm I'm starting to learn that, yeah, when you're on the road, how much better you are than the other team doesn't always matter as much as I might possibly like it to. Um but and especially in the context of this match, it really felt toward the end. We had a couple really close calls like in stoppage time or near it where it really felt like we could have maybe had the winner in us and just didn't quite seal it. But I mean, I think the I mean, first, the big the big thing when you when you watch the game goes on, it was pouring rain there. Right. I mean, I don't I don't know quite what the weather's like where you are here. It has been bright and sunny uh, for the last few days. It was pushing ninety again because it's Texas and it's Houston, Texas, and that's just that's just how this goes. Um, but yeah, bright and sunny, and so you flip on the TV and it was pouring rain. And I think that I think that the way the game played out, I think that definitely had an impact, certainly sure. on the way we played. But uh, you know, let's let's be direct about this. Um, we kind of stunk for most of the game. We were not good. We did not play well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they yeah. they were. Yeah. It was, oh, it was definitely sloppy. There, there was at least a couple times where you could tell directly we were like slipping around. Like it was actually the field was sloppy that we were yeah. playing on. But yeah, it was there. There were some careless giveaways, and um, that Palmer goal I think was a result of a careless giveaway. If I'm not remembering wrong, right? Um, well, certainly. I mean, yeah, there were a lot of careless giveaways. Although, really, oh, the, the first goal, goal that was that was the yeah, thing. the first yeah, the first goal, of <laughs> course, was the result of a of a of a VAR a review of our review a handball against Saliba. And so, I will ask you, what did you think when you as you saw that? Certainly, when the replay, not so much in real time because that's hard to tell, right? Uh, but but as you watch the replay, what do you think? So. I, I had the opportunity to discuss this already with my father, who I, I was watching live with on Saturday. It was that Saturday afternoon for us when the, when the match started, for me at least, John. He's, he's in your time zone, so it wasn't <laughs> quite afternoon for him yet. Um, so we were talking about this when it happened. And to me, as I was watching VAR review it, the question I imagined they were trying to answer is, was his hand in a natural position more than did the hand touch the ball? Cause it was very clear after the first time you see the replay, it oh, yeah. definitely touched the ball. Um, so my take on it would be 
was it or was it not in a natural position? And I feel like, no, that, that was not a natural position. It was, it was up. Mm-hmm. His hand was out. He was jumping. And maybe you could say for a jump, it was like a natural position, but when you're jumping that close to the goal where the ball is being kicked, you kind of know you're making your body bigger and that that can end up blocking the ball. So. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I saw it. I, I think you're right. That, that phrase, you know, it is, it is a point of contention, right? Natural position or unnatural. Cause I think it's, I think it is fair to ask, I, you know, that's part of the natural jumping position to use that to balance yourself. Otherwise yeah. you wind up seeing them like jumping sort of like a, a seal, you know, just, <laughs> like, like a, a salmon just jump, flop yeah. it, the flopping over. <laughs> And which looks awkward is probably, excuse me, it's probably a little dangerous. Um, <laughs> but you have, um, yeah, I mean, once you put your arm out like that, it is an unnatural position. And yeah, you're taking your chances. I mean, once I saw the, re- you know, there was some, there's some pushback and there's certainly been a lot of conversation about whether it's fair or unfair. I mean, I look at it two ways. One, as soon as I saw the replay, you're right. Hand was out. It was away from his body. As soon as it hits off it, yeah, that's a bad. Yeah, as soon as we saw, it, like they're going to call that. They're going to call that. It's definitely coming back. Like whether it should be or shouldn't is kind of, it's frankly kind of immaterial. We, I, you kind of know they're going to because that has been consistently called in the past. The other way to look at it, of course, is is reverse the situation. How would we feel if that was one of if that was one of their defenders making that play, and we one hundred percent would want a penalty, and we'd be right to, you know, given right. the way the game is called, that was a penalty, and. Um, you know, I can't fault, I can't fault, you know, I, I can't fault uh, Raya for the, the penalty. I mean, you know, it's, it, it, it's such an advantage, yeah. such an advantage to the shooter. Uh, it converts it. Um, Palmer scores. It's, it's frustrating. It's, I mean, yes, was Chelsea a little bit better than us at that stage? Yes. But it's a goal that comes off a very fortunate uh, bounce. And so that was obviously very frustrating. And I think what it really did. You know, because you saw we, we really kind of dominated possession the rest of the certainly the rest of the half yeah. and much of the rest of the game. Yeah. But you really saw how it allowed Chelsea. We've talked about this before. Sat in a low block, very compact, forced us to try to break them down. And I think there's a lot of talk during the game. I think this is where a player like Jorginho was. I don't want to say a problem, uh, but Jorginho doesn't really pass forward. You notice, watch when he passes, he's very much a side-to-side passer. And we really needed someone in that instance to be more incisive, you know, to be able to get the ball out of our half or to, or to put, or even just to push forward, penetrate their lines and sort of get between their defenders. And he just, that's just not his skill set. The obvious switch would have been Jorginho for party. Um, but I, I, you know, the more I've been thinking about it, because we were, people were shouting for that during the game, get Jorginho out of there, switch him off, get party on. Honestly, I think really we could throw a little bit more of the blame onto Martin Odegaard, who I thought in particular did not have a very strong game. Um, someone has pointed this out. He's had a lot of games. His first game out of the international break, he really seems to struggle a little bit. Hmm. And I mean, he does a lot for Norway. Uh, you know, he doesn't with Norway. He he's the captain there. He obviously plays an important role for them, but he doesn't have the same talent around him. Of course, he does at Arsenal. I mean, he does play with Erling Holland, which is you know is makes up for a lot. But yeah, he doesn't have the same kind of talent around him, especially in the midfield. I mean, you know, he doesn't have a Declan Rice. He doesn't have Bukayo Saka. He doesn't have Gabriel Jesus in front of him. He doesn't have William Saliba behind him. He doesn't have that kind of talent around him. So he's got, so he has to do a little bit more. So maybe he's a little exhausted. We start talking about Norway being effectively not eliminated, but sort of knocked out of that, that stage of European qualifying and having to do something else. And there's a mental letdown from that as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think the more I think about it, as much as the conversation has been about Jorginho's weaknesses, which were which were obvious, I, part of me feels like that's where Martin Odegaard needs to step in and do that kind of thing. Um, hmm. I thought I thought Saka. I, I spent most of the game watching Saka and feeling like he wasn't himself. That he was. He definitely was further back than in some ways. A lot of times, receiving the ball behind Ben White, right? New, new, newly platinum Ben White. You might have noticed. Ben White um, went white. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we kept we kept mistaking him for Trossard. Uh, I kept mistaking cat. him for Dennis Rodman. <laughs> that's uh, that's um. Yeah. I have a lot how of things to say that. that. I know I have let's put it this well, no, how do I, there's no way I can come back for that on the family friendly uh show we're doing here. But anyway, um 
Yeah, I thought Saka was generally playing a little deeper. Some of that, I think, was his injury. Some of it was, I mean, you know, he was facing Mark Kukurea, who's a decent defender, um, who did well with him overall, although I thought, as as usual, got away with a, a little bit uh, more chippy and physical play with Saka, as tends to happen. You know, it, right. it, it's frustrating because of its predictability, of course, right? Yeah. That this this sort of just keeps happening. But anyway. Kukurea, um, who, who my son referred to as the girl. Mm, with, the, with the hair, I mean, you know, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly a weakness, weakness in the, I don't have weakness in the, the hair category, but uh, it is a pretty impressive mane. I, I got to give credit where it it's is. due. I think it's more of a style than the quality. Oh yes, yes. Um, but yes, that was all very frustrating, and and yeah, we didn't have that kind of incisiveness. Um, you know, you know, Martinelli seemed like he was having some issues as well on on the outside. Um, Zinchenko, I thought, was not having a particularly good game. I thought he, he, Raheem Sterling looked very dangerous coming down his side. You know, Zinchenko does that, that thing where he's always going forward and sort of popping up in different places. But when he had to track back defensively, I thought he was, I'm not going to say a liability, but it definitely, we needed more from that defender, especially with Sterling coming down that side. Hmm. So, so overall, yeah, the half was frustrating because I thought we stunk. That's what I yeah, thought. Yeah. So when you're going through and, and listing all the players having problems on our side, how do you make the determination? How do you draw the line for you individually? How do you draw the line as far as what is their deficiency and what is Chelsea putting the right kinds of pressure and stopping them? How do you disambiguate? Um, I think it, it, in a lot of ways it sort of becomes collective. Like as you want, I mean, in some cases it was fairly obvious, a lot of misplaced passes, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we've talked about this a few other games. You watch some games where, you know, Odegaard makes a pass and normally be really incisive and find the man. But then this one just sort of floats through, you know, floats through not quite as strong and a Chelsea player steps in front of it. You know, there, we yeah. see some instances like that. Um, you know, some of it is the defense as well. I, you know, Saka for me, what I noted, what stood out to me was his positioning. It felt like he was behind Ben White more than usual. Normally you see what Ben making those overlapping runs. And so Saka gets the ball, sort of holds up the defender while White comes around him. Here it felt like White was already starting further forward and Saka was behind him and was sort of receiving and pushing that way, which, you know, kind of catches you in an offside trap because there's only so much further forward White Ben can go before he's, you know, now offside. Um, yeah. You know, you know, again, you watch Jorginho, and, and part of this is admittedly the atmosphere I'm in and hearing a lot of real-time commentary from people, uh, some of whom, you know, some of whom played the game at, you know, not not the, not professional levels, but right. certainly have, certainly have you know, quite a lot of playing experience, and, you know, they're the kinds who are seeing some particular things, and you watch Jorginho, and every pass goes side to side, side to side. Sometimes that's the right move. But as we saw, what you're afraid of is we may have talked about this a little bit. The what we call we used to call the horseshoe of death. Yes, that yeah, the passing that goes all the way around the box but never penetrates in. And you saw for most of the game, Chelsea had they ran the stat a couple of times where Chelsea had more uh, possession in our box or attacking mm. chances in our box than we had possession or chance or entrances into their box. Right, and that's right there is a sign of the direction the you know of what we're not doing and and right. i say that chelsea doing that clearly had a very defensive game plan very structured overall played well but i think sort of played sort of like we talked about tottenham sort of outplayed the sum of their parts uh you know overall played well defended well but i think benefited a great deal from getting that very early goal and watching us have to try to chase the game a little more allowed them to be more compact and that's when it was 1-0 but we can talk about 2-0. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you thought in the first half before we, we jump I in. I think it was in the first half, but I didn't make a note of it. Um, David Raya's oh, shoot moment um, where he made a pass that got intercepted and very nearly came back to bite him, and he he saved his own skin. Um, uh, that was second That was second half. Was I remember that. Half. I do remember that. That was second half. So, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, the only other, I guess the only thing we point about is uh, whether or not Palmer should have even been on the pitch. Uh, very early right. on gets a yellow uh, for oh, yeah. getting, getting the studs into the back of Gabriel Jesus there. I don't know. What did you think of that? Well, what confused me is he only got the yellow card after VAR review. And what I wasn't totally clear on is how that happened, because as far as what I've internalized about how officiation and VAR review works, 
VAR should only step in for that type of call for a foul or when it's a potential red card from what you've told me. Right Mm -hmm. now, what it seemed like is that they stepped in and reviewed it because of a potential red card and apparently didn't recommend a red card. And he still got given a yellow card. It seemed to me that if they don't recommend a red card, it should go back to what the official on the pitch called and Nothing like I guess either just a foul or nothing in that mm. case. So how did how did the yellow card come about? That wasn't clear. So I, I think it, it, well because you're right the, the the VAR is only for at giving a red and so it review and so that's why they reviewed it was a potential red. Now yep. part of that is you know the referee will play advantage and they will play on. I believe he played on for a little bit after that and so. Generally, what happens there is the game plays on. The referee, you see, we say play advantage. So if you watch the referee, you'll probably see him like pointing forward, or sometimes they'll do it with the two hands, and it looks really awkward on camera. But they'll point with the the way with the two arms forward as a way to say keep playing. Right. Um, the idea is that stopping stopping the game now would actually hurt the team that got fouled. Right. Uh, and what will happen then is they will go back, and if the referee has a card to issue, like he'll make a mental note, I need to give a card to that. At the next stoppage, he'll walk over, yellow, okay. uh, and, and give the card. So I think that's what happened there with the card. So he it, it, was it, it, going it did not, to give a yellow anyways, regardless of the review. Right. He delayed he, until after the review was done. He cannot, so. yes. Yeah. He cannot give a, a yellow as a result of the review. He can give a red or right. he gives nothing. Now, we've been caught on the, the wrong end of that on a handful of occasions where the foul happens and you're like, it really should be a red. And they review it. They go, nope, it's not a red. And so it's just a foul. And they're like, yeah. But you've seen it. It should be a yellow. And, yeah. and so, yeah. Um, but yes, you, you are correct in terms of how it's applied. What that says okay. to me is, he was already going to give a yellow. And so at uh, the VAR was like, well, I'm sure it's a red. Nope. Okay. It's a yellow. And so there's okay. the yellow, yeah. but I do think Palmer was a Palmer. What let's put it this way. It was, it was studs. It was late. It was from behind. It's into the ankle. Palmer's a little fortunate to have been on the field to convert that penalty. Yeah. That's all I'm saying about that. Yeah. Not quite as fortunate as Kovacic in the, in the city game last, last time out, but. Yeah. There's a world where he's where he gets a red for that. Yeah, that I mean that was very early on. That would have very much changed things. So meanwhile, I can see we're both thirsty. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you guys about how I keep from getting thirsty when I'm when especially when I'm active. So you know these days I'm busy with coaching baseball, coaching soccer for for my son. And I'm running all over the place with them uh, at Little League practice. Last week, uh, we did a base running drill that was like a relay race. And I was taking part in it because we had uneven sides on the two teams that were competing in the relay race. So I was like running around all the bases multiple times. And if that wasn't enough, one of the players on the team wanted me to actually (laughs) race again because he he wanted to see if he could beat me like in a one-on-one race. Which was fun, but well, well could he? I uh, he won. Oh, okay. we, we can we can say that he won. Um, okay. that, that's how it went. <laughs> uh, who, Bury the lead on that one. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's to say if if that's the the end result in all worlds? But uh, that day, that was the result. Um, but. I can tell you, I was very, very thirsty when I was done with that. So naturally, I opened up my stick of Liquid IV, poured it into a water bottle, and was no longer thirsty. Um, Liquid IV is, of course, the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being, and their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. In just one stick, and as we've covered before, if they call it a stick, it's like a little stick-shaped packet that you tear open and pour into a bottle. You get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than with water alone. Use it first thing in the morning before a workout when you feel run down after a long night out and on two flights. Oh, long flights. <laughs> one or two, or however many you may happen to take. Um, Liquid IV is, of course, made with premium ingredients, and Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I've told you I love how it tastes. It's very convenient to stick in my bag. Uh, my favorite flavor so far is strawberry lemonade. Uh, when I go to order more, that will definitely be in my order. Um, so if this sounds good to you, if you've been feeling thirstier than you should and you want better hydration, get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code Gooner at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code Gooner at liquidiv.com. 
There, of course, is also a link in our show notes or description to make it even easier for you to get that discount. So thanks to them for keeping our show going. So the second half, uh, this is where things got interesting <laughs> and a little less frustrating. <laughs> That's one word for it. Uh <laughs> Well, let's start. The first thing, right away, Arsenal made a substitution of the half. They pulled Zinchenko for Tomiyasu. You know, I noticed Tomiyasu came on. I didn't catch that Zinchenko was who came off. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, interesting. So my first thought when that happened was this was a tactical shift, that Tomiyasu doesn't play the same kind of role that Zinchenko does. He's not going to be, you know, sort of drifting around the field, going everywhere. Okay, this is a tactical shift to play more defensively. And then within 30 seconds, there's Tomiyasu receiving the ball in the middle of the park. I'm like, all right, I guess I would. Do. I, the answer is usual is I know nothing. Um, right, he but, ended up taking a shot off of that possession, right? Yeah, probably. Um, but but I do think though he was definitely much stronger defensively uh, in terms of dealing with with, uh, with Sterling and Chelsea attacks that came down that side of the field, uh, which I think is is a credit. I don't want to use this as an opportunity to take shots at Zinchenko. I think it's really a credit though to. Uh, Tomiyasu, that we, you know, we spent so much of the season last year without him due to injury, and a couple of games he did play. You know, there were some like that City game, just some you know, to the, a terrible giveaway that leads immediately to the goal. You know, you sort of forget how good he really is, and and he was he was very good. I thought uh, coming on the second half, I thought he was really important in sort of helping give us a slightly different shape uh, and and being a little more defensively solid, which allowed us then you know to be more aggressive offensively. Hmm. So I thought that was a good sub to get start to start off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so unfortunately though, (laughs) very shortly into that second half, Mudrick made what is objectively speaking, it was an insane shot. That was a beautiful, beautiful goal. I mean, just the way it curved perfectly and landed exactly where it needed to in the top corner. I was, I was very annoyed that he was afforded the opportunity to take it, but oh my God, I admired that shot. Except, except here's the, here's the dirty little secret. It wasn't a shot. Oh, that was, goof- a cross that that was a cross wide. that he goofed. <laughs> if you watch him, watch the replay as he's yeah. coming in. He's not looking at goal. He's looking across uh-huh. at whoever was making the run. I forget who was there, who the forward was. It might have been Sterling. It might have been um, might have been Palmer. He's looking across uh. the across the way, and he chips it. And again, like I don't know that he could do. Well, he probably could do that if he if he really tried. But I mean, it, it you know. Raya takes, is taking a little bit of criticism for his positioning there. You know, he's off his line. Mudrick catches him. I think it's just, and that's the part of the frustration. We talked about how a bit fortunate Arsenal, you know, Chelsea was to get this, the ball off Saliba's arm. They were also very fortunate that that happened. Yeah, um, that's true. So a Chelsea team that I don't think is playing particularly well. Obviously, as we said, we don't think is that good. And then to have two goals like that. <laughs> that they arguably didn't deserve. Yeah. Um, well, deserve, you know, deserve's got nothing to do with it. I mean, That's in right. their defense, they were playing well the first 10, 15 minutes where the goal, where the penalty came from. So, you know, it they put themselves in a position where they could have gotten that kind of lucky break. This one was just annoying. Like he, that, that is not what he was trying to do. That yeah. was a very, that was a very, that was a very frustrating goal to give up. Yeah, and I mean, I could also see that that would affect uh, Raya's positioning, too, if he was expecting a cross because th- that was not a shot that he was likely to take in that circumstance. Yeah, I could see that. But I guess, yeah, at the end of the day, better better lucky than good, right? Uh, yeah, if you're certainly if you're Mudrick and Chelsea. Yeah, yeah I mean, you're right. In, in that sense, yeah, uh, Raya's position is appropriate for a cross. If that ball had had actually been properly crossed, as I think Mudrick intended, Raya's in perfect position to pluck it out of the air, and nobody thinks anything of it. It's just, all right, you know, good job, mm. move on. Uh, but, yeah, obviously he mishits it and kind of mishits it perfectly. Yeah. But so then, um, the, <laughs> so I, I don't, like I said, I don't have the notes down, but that, that was, that was funny with Raya's one, one oops <laughs> that nearly, nearly gave up a third goal. I don't remember if that would have been the second or the third, but then. Yeah, yeah it would have been the third. Yeah. And it was about to say, we just had a bunch of nice things to say about Raya. That was the moment he wants back. That was. Yeah. I mean, to his credit, it was a great save in terms of he sort of gets his own position, kind of pulls the ball off of, I think it was Jackson, he pulled the ball off his feet. Um, 
But again, should never have been in that position to begin with. Um, Of course, we should point out, we didn't mention this before, he was not going to get subbed off for Ramsdale on that game. Ah, yes. uh, Because as you may have noticed, Ramsdale was not on the bench. Did you notice that? I didn't notice it. I heard the commentators talking Mm -hmm. about it, though. So go ahead. Why, Why was he not there? Yes, uh, Carl Hine was our backup, uh, but uh, Ramsdale was with his wife, who was giving birth to their their child, which you may remember we mentioned that story earlier this year. Uh, last year, they, they the couple had a miscarriage right. um, during the season, so obviously this is a special moment for them. Um, obviously, it's a special moment just in general, but obviously coming on the heels of of their previous experience, right. and so congratulations to the Ramsdales and the newest Ramsdale. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, so glad everybody's coming out well with that. But yes, he, uh, yeah, you know, Arteta made that comment at some point, la- you know, when Rai was being brought in about, you know, there were times last year I wanted to sub out the keeper at 70 minutes, but I didn't have the courage to do it, which not that he would have done it in this game, but well, <laughs> that definitely wasn't going to happen because Ramsdale wasn't there. So uh, is, is Carl Hein the keeper who I saw during the MLS skills competition or something, or who I saw sometime over the summer who was just, really really awful or was that someone else i think that probably was uh, no that was or was that um oh the icelandic guy or Harrison? it's an icelandic keeper oh, who maybe was, yeah who was no no Torarinson's a different there was there was a keeper on our roster yeah we we had brought him in because the goalkeeper coach liked him and he was not ready for this mm. level of competition. Um, seems like a nice kid. Hopefully, he's. I think we've loaned him out. See, now I'm just stalling for time, like trying to pull up a roster <laughs> to see if I can find who is that keeper that I, uh, the Icelandic guy. Uh, where is it? Where is he? Um, maybe he's now actually officially. Maybe we officially sold him, and he's a former. Art. Oh yeah, there we go. Runar Alex Runarsson, who's been loaned oh, out to, yeah. to Cardiff City. Um, yep. yep. Yeah, that was yes. I believe that was Runerson. Uh No, I, that's right. I, interesting. Hein is Hein's generally Hein is our third keeper. Um, okay, he's the 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 keeper for the Estonian national team. He's actually in the the yeah. number one for Estonia. Um, but he's he's uh, <laughs> yes, he's he's twenty one, which I mean is very, yeah. which is obviously very young, certainly yeah. for a keeper. I mean, keepers can because they don't do as much running. Keepers can play like into their late thirties, even into their forties. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he's so he he was the the backup, and uh, barring injury, was not going to be playing. So. so while we're on the topic of keepers, and you reminded me when you mentioned the uh, the keeper coach, because I was talking, to, I, I'm finding all new people like I have soccer in common with now that I'm into <laughs> soccer. It's, it's awesome. So this is another person at my job. I was in the office this week, and apparently he knows. I think he said he knows the 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 goalie coach at Fairfield University or something, and mm-hmm. he was at Fairfield University when Matt Turner went there, and I think mm-hmm. they know each other at least a little bit. So yeah, that was that was fun. That was interesting. The small world, yeah. But uh, um, so and further before we completely leave the topic of talking about goalkeeping during this match, um, I wanted to give Raya credit for another play that I noticed in the 67th minute. Um, a player from Chelsea was advancing down the right side of the field toward the goal. And Raya came way off his line. It was like a one V one scenario. And he like slid on the ground and plucked the ball away from his feet in a way that didn't cause a foul inside the box. that I thought was very skillful and deflated a very dangerous situation that way. So. Yeah, no, I do recall the player thinking that was that was very nicely done. It's a dangerous play. If you, yeah. it's sort of like we talk. Saliba does this sometimes where he goes to ground, and a lot of times your you defender goes down like that. Yeah, you know, you suck your breath in, but uh, <laughs> but you know, but you know, he's Saliba. He always makes the play. Yeah, Raya did a good job with that. So yeah, um, and then it was about ten minutes after that that we finally drew blood with an amazing shot by Declan Rice way outside the eighteen yard box. That was that was a missile. Yeah, well, I mean, th- you think about it, you know, we talked about goalkeeping errors and how Raya's, you know, doesn't really make errors on the two goals, but does make one on the one that isn't a goal. That was uh, Sanchez, uh, Robert Sanchez, the, the Chelsea keeper, just a bad ball in the middle, and Declan Rice pounces on it. It just yeah. jumps in and one-times it. Yeah. And boy, that was brilliant. Yeah, I know. Boy, and the, wow. the instinct to take that shot was spot on because you could imagine he's far enough away. You could have easily just like 
dribbled it a little bit, found someone to pass to or something, but he saw the opening and he executed on it. Beautiful. Right. So. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's bad from Sanchez because as we said, the giveaway, but also where he's passing and he's well off his line. I mean, the ball, yeah. the ball goes in, there's nothing you can do about it. He is yeah. completely out of position. And it really, I mean, you know, there's a, with a bend on that, it almost yeah. doesn't make it in, but it's, it ends up just, you know, just a, just a kiss off the post and just, I mean, you know, I you know Rice had some moments in this game where you're, you know again he was another player who at times the game seemed to struggle, made some bad plays, but you know he is. We'll, we'll talk about this as well in the second goal, but there are players who can make moments and sort of make something out of nothing, and he's a player like that. He's he is so good. He's so good. Yeah. I know I noticed some good defensive plays from him also throughout throughout the match. Like there there's a couple times where I noted, oh yeah, he's uh, he's he's having a good match actually. I didn't I didn't notice any, any errors in particular. I did notice some some good plays he had. Yeah, I thought he was a little, he was at times in the first half a little ragged, sort of the way I think a lot of us were. The whole team was. I you know I don't think he was certainly in the first half. I thought we were overall we were very poor, and you know a lot of times you talk about it's not so much that he was particularly bad, but wasn't able to rise above our general. I'm making a face now, so you know, it, hopefully you're in a video. Just the general ugh, that was that yeah, first half performance. Face, um, yeah, yeah. Um, is it, what is it? What's the face, Mister Yuck? The the poison sticker they give little kids. I'm not familiar with that one. You remember Mister Yuck? No, they didn't okay. have that in my school. I don't remember if it was. I don't remember if it was Mister Yuck or what they called it. But anyway, yeah, that sort of. Um, so it's what it's the sticker you put on like it like poisonous stuff. So right. tell kids you're you know like cleaning supplies. Don't drink this, kids. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's <laughs> it's not soda. Um, I know it smells like lemons, but <laughs> um, yeah. So um, now I don't have it in my notes. Who fed Trasar the the um, pass that he ended up knocking in? Well, speaking of players who seem anonymous all game and then can produce a moment of brilliance, it's Bukayo Saka. Oh, well, Saka, okay. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, again, a guy who can, I don't want to say create something out of nothing, but a guy who can put him, you know, just drive in and make what well, was effectively a, a perfect pass. Trossard, I, you know, someone pointed this out. It's The finish Trossard makes is not easy. No. Like the angle he's at, the ball coming in, he one times it off the inside of his foot, but he, ma- his he foot makes his ankle or something. But yeah, it was. he makes it. <laughs> but he makes it looks. It's, it was the inside of his foot. It's it's yeah. right where you want it to be because you don't yeah. you don't want any power on that because what'll happen is it'll just push it back the other way or you'll shoot it wide. But he gets just enough, turns his foot, gets the angle, puts it right in the net, and it's just. Yeah. I mean, you saw in his celebration. I mean, just so like just. Threw his arms out, kind of almost like he's shrugging. Like, yeah, I finished that. I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, he's a he's a he's a good player, but what a pass! Oh, what yeah. a what a pass from Saka to get them into position. I mean, yeah, they went down two nil, and we found that extra gear, and that's that's really it's good that we you know in put in a difficult situation in a game where things just aren't going right for you. To, to find that extra gear to get those two goals and to come away with a draw in a game that mm, I don't want to say we deserve to lose, but mm. we didn't. We, we you know as we said we didn't play well for long stretches and to still be able to pull a draw out of that on the road is a uh, is ultimately a good result. Even as we said, our expectations frustrate us in terms of its overall picture, uh, the overall picture right. or the result. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll buy that. That's that's true. Um, so any last thoughts before we move on to player of the match? Uh, none that I can say on a family friendly podcast. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Mr. Yuck. <laughs> so, uh, who, who would your pick be for this week? I'm, I'm, I, I'm actually going to say for this game, I, I, I think I'm actually going to say Tomiyasu. I thought he gave, a, I thought he did a good job sort of stabilizing that left side, sort of added a bit of quality coming off the bench. I mean, we could, I, you know, I think Trussard would be a good shout as well, especially getting the goal. I, you know, Declan Rice, you know, as you talked about, you know, you, I, I don't want to say I had a negative view of his performance, but, you know, certainly he's a, he's a quality player who saw an opportunity and took it, sort of dragged us back into the game. But I'm going to say Tomiyasu. I thought he, I, he did a really good job stabilizing that side, playing much better defensively and still offering something going forward. Um, 
I'm not calling for him to start ahead of Zinchenko or anything, but you know, it was an area of particular concern or weakness, and he shored it up and, and allowed us to be a little more fo- a little more on the front foot, a little more forward in the second half. So yeah. credit to to Takahiro Tomiyasu. All right. Well, yeah, so as you, it sounds like you noticed, I was kind of leaning toward Declan Rice, actually, even before he scored the goal that turned it around for us, Mm -hmm. just because I'm still, you know, at at my point in my development of my fandom and analysis, I'm still very much in the details and not so much Mm -hmm. able to synthesize the full picture as much yet. And when I was starting to think that we were losing this thing and maybe in a scoreless fashion, I was looking for, okay, who is doing good things? And I saw some good defensive plays that he was making. So yeah. I uh, latched on to that and then, and then he scored and I was like, okay, well, yeah. It's, yeah. It's definitely and, for me. And, <laughs> and I'll say this in your defense, you know, I, I mean, again, we all approach this differently. We've talked about this as well, right? Sometimes it comes down to expectations. You know, we expect a lot from Martin Odegaard. So when he has a so-so game, it's like, oh, Odegaard, we need more from you. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of times Jorginho does the same thing, just passes out wide, side to side. It's like, it's okay. It's good. That's what we need. It was good. Um, so that expectation plays into it, you know, and, and, but as I, I think pointing to a player like Rice, sometimes there is, there's something to be said for seizing that moment. Yes, he made some good defensive plays. He wasn't awful defensively, but I, you know, there were a few moments where I was like, ah, uh, he's been better. But you're right, having that opportunity when the ball comes in to seize that opportunity and to not only get the goal, but even be able to make that goal. You know, I, he, yeah. I, I don't think that's that's not a bad way to look at it. They say, you know, what's the line? Uh, great player, you know, big players make big plays in big games. This isn't quite a big game, but in a moment where Arsenal needed something, Declan Rice stepped up and said, give me the ball. And yeah. you you need guys who can do that. We have a lot of guys who can do that. He did it, and we we reap the benefits of that. So I, in that sense, I, yeah, I mean, I can I, I'm more willing to nitpick certain kinds of things because I'm to see the game played out. But I think your perspective here is, I think I think it's a good way to think about it too. So you know, well, and part of part of why my attention was drawn to that the the fact that he shot it also is just from my coach training and what I'm trying to teach my players, which at their age is maybe a little bit unorthodox. I'm maybe teaching them in a way that you would teach an older player rather than like an eight or under kid. But basically I'm not telling them, Oh, just be nice, pass it, share the ball. Like Mm -hmm. everybody deserves equal time. It's not about deserves. It's not about whether or not you are passing it. It is. Are you passing it when you should pass it? Are you shooting it when you should be shooting it? Right. Yeah. Like, you know, we, We've got players who will shoot it from the midfield mark just because they have to be shooting the ball. And if that's all that they can do with the ball, then they're, they're going to shoot it rather than looking for something else. Like, but I'm focused on when you have the opportunity, take it. When you don't figure out the next best thing that you can do, don't shoot it when you don't have the opportunity. But yeah. So like from that point of view, absolutely. He saw it, he recognized it and he executed. So, yeah. I mean, we can, we can make the Ted Lasso point. I mean, obviously he talks to the first season, that notion that the extra pass, right? Be able to move the ball around, be unselfish in a lot of ways. But you see at a certain point as they go through the show, it limits the players to the point where obviously, you know, Jamie Tart, right? Like you need him at some moments to say, give me the ball. Right. And I will do, I will do this. I yeah. can do this myself. You don't want a player who, no, there's no player who can or should do it all the time. But like, you know, if you're, if you're Argentina, Give Messi the ball. It's not complicated. Give your best player the ball and let him do something with it. It's not that complicated. And yeah. you're right. As you said, recognizing that moment can be can be difficult. But yeah, right. It's about taking advantage of your skills and putting yourself in those positions. So yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it, that's a good. It's a good lesson for kids too. It's not about being unselfish and always passing. It's not about shooting wherever you can. It's about finding that balance and you know trying right. to figure out the best thing in that moment. And I think the reason it might be considered by someone to be unorthodox at that age is maybe they're not necessarily capable yet of making that distinction of really thinking about it in that way. You just want to get them in the habit of passing first only because 
that way they know that that's an option when they are old enough to start kind of thinking about it a little bit more and making better decisions in the moment. But And, and that's the argument developmentally that with, at the younger levels where they don't really keep score or they don't record wins and losses. It's not – obviously at the rec level it's much more about – and I hate to say the participation trophy, but it is about making sure kids are out and running around having fun. But even at the academy level, they, they, there are certain lower levels. They don't bother to keep score because they don't care. Like they're out there and they may tell them, okay, you guys, are, every time you get the ball, you pass. Because it's about developing that muscle memory, developing that vision of the field and sort of thinking about passing. Right. But I don't care if you score. That's not important. That's not what I'm trying to get you to do. I'm trying to get yep. you to get used to pass. And I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit for effect. They never go out there and say, okay, don't shoot anybody. We're going to win. We're <laughs> going to win this game. We're going to end this game nil nil. But the, but the point is that at the developmental level, the result is not as important as you developing those skills so that when you get to those older levels and the result matters, you can do the different kinds of things you need to do and better recognize those situations. And at that point, it really just comes down to who had not even the skill. It's who's got the eye, right? Who's got yeah. that that ability to process what's going on around them and knows how to make those decisions. And those are the players who obviously keep advancing. It's not even their skill set. A lot of times it becomes the mental game as well. Who can, who right. has the the fortitude to go through. I mean, so this was pointed out. I mean, it's a hard thing to recognize at the younger level. Arsenal had, you know, uh, Eddie and Ketty and Declan Rice were both Chelsea youth, youth players. Hmm. They, and, you know, Chelsea had a lot of talent in their academy, but both of them got, got let go. Um, Arsenal immediately snatched up Nketia as a youth player, and he's come through their academy. Rice was grabbed by West Ham and came up through theirs, and of course became a big player for for West Ham before Arsenal signed him. So, you know, there's, you know, we we lost, you know, Flo Balogun, who looks like he could end up being a really good player. I mean, with kids, you just never know in that development. Yeah. And you know, we got lucky that sort of Saka came in at the right moment where we needed a player who did the things he did, and he was ready to take on more responsibility and of course has continued to develop into the, the star that he is. So it's hard. It's, it's hard. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it's all related to uh, something I listened to on a podcast that has nothing to do with sports. Um, but this guy was on, he was an expert in the OODA loop. Is that something you've heard of before? No, no, it so is not. It's an acronym O O D A. Mm-hmm. And this is something I guess you get in military training for like elite mm-hmm. military units, but observe, orient, decide, mm-hmm. act. And okay, this is just yeah. something you're constantly doing. Observe what's mm-hmm. around you, orient yourself in the situation, make a decision, and then do it. Like, and, yeah. And basically, that's to me, like, that is the key skill in soccer is you're just constantly, the more you observe what's around you, the more you keep your eyes up and you know where your team is, the mm-hmm. better you're able to then orient yourself. And then when you get the ball, you're able to make a split second decision. And it's the rope, like, passing drills that get you yeah. shooting drills, get you to be able to actually act in the way that you need to in that situation. But yeah. And, and one last example to turn to, I've, I've heard some of this analysis. We talked a little bit about Fabio Vieira, who by the way, didn't even make the bench for, for Saturday, which mm. speaks to the quality and the depth we have. And he's a, he's a good player. He's played well yeah. this year and he's not even on the bench, but I do think, you know, it's, I've heard this suggested. We talked, especially last year as he's getting into the premier league, how the league was very physical. And, and how he was a smaller player is having struggling with the physicality. I saw some analysis of people saying it's not his physicality. It's not his strength. It's his decision making. He's not thinking fast enough that in Portugal, where he came from, things are a little slower because the talent level is a little smaller. You get to England in the Premier League and the game is fast. Things happen so quickly on the field that he just wasn't processing fast enough what he was doing and where he needed to be and what he should be doing. And so it put him in positions where he was getting into physical battles, which he shouldn't even have been getting into. Notice this year when we see him play, he's avoiding those physical battles and he's, you know, being, he's able to get himself into position to make some key passes. So yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of that is that situational awareness and recognizing the speed at which things are happening around you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, an interesting. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have ever thought of that as a factor in in a player's mm-hmm. development. But that that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, so tell me what's uh, what's coming up for next week. Um, busy week. We're we're really in the midst of the two games a week uh, set. Uh, tomorrow, as we record this on Monday, tomorrow is uh, probably the toughest game of our Champions League uh, group competition. We are at Sevilla. Uh, Sevilla is a, a a practiced and experienced European side. They won the Europa League last year. 
they're probably the they're definitely I think the weakest of the the seeded teams, the teams in pot one. But they won the Europa League last year. They they certainly know how to play European competition. We are on the road. Um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm rooting for a draw, but I think if we were to walk out of there with a draw, I'd be satisfied knowing we still get them and Lawns at home in the back half of the group stage. But especially having lost to Lawns, that's really not a game we can afford to lose. Uh, certainly if we have pretensions of winning the group and definitely not uh, if we, or I say definitely not if we think we can win the group, but certainly, and it would be very difficult for us at that point to advance having already taken a loss. So hopefully we can avoid that tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, Saturday, uh, we're home again uh, against Sheffield United, a team who is uh, the promoted from the championship last year and is currently sits dead last in the league with one draw out of nine games. Uh, they have scored seven goals in nine games. They are they are the worst team in the league currently, and uh, with one on one point, and uh, we should we should tear them apart. Uh, I think it's I think it's probably the best way to think about that. We should we should win. And then next Wednesday, uh, just to make sure, obviously in terms of time recording, looking ahead next Wednesday, uh, we are at West Ham in the fourth round of the Carabao Cup. So very curious to see how the lineup gets worked for that game. Uh, again, still in the early stages of the Carabao Cup, we're probably going to see a second-tier lineup. Might see more Emil Smith-Rowe. We didn't mention he came on in the second half and played pretty yeah. well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, 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 games are starting to come fast and furious now uh, for, for the Gunners. Uh, Sevilla, Sheffield, and then West Ham, and then looking ahead, two week, oh, you know, uh, two weekends from now, a big one at Newcastle. So it's it's gonna get it's gonna get interesting fast. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us at Gunner U. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you're watching on YouTube. Hi, <laughs> we recommend everyone please do that because we think it's a good experience. Uh, please like and subscribe to support the show even more. You can, of course, become a Gooner U super fan for ad free episodes and bootleg recordings available the very night we record. It's only one dollar a month and there's a link in the show notes to join. Thanks again to our sponsor, Liquid IV. You can find them with our special link in the description or show notes. You can follow our show on Twitter at Gooner U Show for updates and ask questions. Again, my name is Dove. You can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Come on, you gunners.